An impossibly random series of events converges to create genius. A convergence of luck? A trick played on us by the gods? Do we mere mortals have control over our destinies by exerting our own free will? Or are we mere puppets to fate? Hello, and welcome to the Book Club Juxtapositions podcast, a book club where we discuss two pieces of literature and juxtapose them based on theme, plot, author style, societal norms, and basically just how the book grabs you. All of the interesting things that make for a great spoiler-filled book club discussion. Did you say spoiler-filled? Yes, I said spoiler-filled. In each episode, we will mainly focus on one of the literary pieces. With all good literature, one can't help but make comparisons and connections to other literary works and in life. In the second episode, we will examine the same ideas with the counterpiece of literature. This is just a fun way to compare and contrast two pieces of literature and have a lively discussion. This is an adult podcast intended for adult listeners, and we may use adult language. Adult language? What the hell? In this month's episodes, we will examine Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell versus The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald, where we will examine the idea of fate versus free will. I'm Tracy May, author, multi-award-winning screenwriter, and former educator. And I'm Kimberly Andy creator of the blog Lilypads of Curiosity, a travel writer, and a former educator. Today's episode, Outliers, is a thought-provoking book that examines some narratives we as a society hold about the nature of success and uses scientific studies and those famous for being outstanding in their field to argue how inaccurate our perceived notions really are. Our theme today is fate versus free will. So Macbeth, Oedipus Rex, Romeo and Juliet all made vain attempts to control fate only to fall victim to its unyielding power. Does greatness in our modern era depend largely on luck? Or is it true genius when one can see the alignment of the stars and sees its wake? Let's start with Malcolm Gladwell's premise as we read it, or perhaps his theory, that success is often misunderstood to be the product of fate, as in sheer talent or being born a genius, but in the result is really many factors, the most important of which is what you are willing to give to achieve it. I would say the first thing is we absolutely love Malcolm Gladwell. And I know we talk about loving whatever we're doing, but that's why we chose what we chose. Uh, We didn't choose our our hate list. But Malcolm Gladwell, what I really, really appreciate about Malcolm Gladwell is that he's looking at things we just always consider to be true, like our preconceived notions about what makes people successful or, or so many things he looks at our preconceived notions and then looks at the cause and effect underneath it. When I'm listening to any political figure talk and they all of a sudden will get into, you know, what we looked at this, here was our outcome, we wanted to change it. So we went back and looked what was causing it, then you have me because then you can talk about real change is looking at what creates these, what works to create this environment and how can we replicate it or how can we eliminate it. Basically, preconceived thinking. So literally learning from history. Learning from history learning what the cause and effects are. I mean, examining things with new eyes, I think is really what Malcolm Gladwell does so brilliantly. I think he does too. I think that um, one of the things that I really valued about what Gladwell did is that it brought into um, memory a lot of the things that I used when I was raising my kids. And as far as I wish that there were some things that I could go back and implement a little bit deeper that Gladwell brings up, which isn't some sort of like stellar 
realization of, oh, wow, if you practice something, you're going to get better. (laughs) Really? What? Because I, you know, I bring my, my kids into it again. But, you know, Kyle used to say when he was practicing basketball that, you know, he, he, really live by the quote and it might not be exact but you, you you'll you all know it the one that you know if you're not practicing somebody else's and they will win and when you meet them they will win and so he lived by that as a way to motivate him to basically not be lazy and get out and practice and I had students that were on basketball teams and and athletes and and my classes that I would you know really admire because before class they would get up and go practice and that's what made them stand out and be so much better it wasn't that they didn't have talent yeah they were born with some talent but at the same time they utilized that and they really compounded on top of it to become better at their craft yeah their craft Okay, so then it comes into the question of, and where I think sometimes when I was reading this book, I was a little confused by some of the mixed messages because it seemed to me like there was also this component of fate. So, for example, let's say you're Bill Gates and you have access to a computer that very few people had. Or literally, what was he, one of two people that maybe didn't have access to it in the world. So does that, that's fate. You can't control that. No matter how many hours you practice that's fate. If you're the Beatles and you get this opportunity in Germany, surely they seize that opportunity. But, you know, obviously they had skills, but they were also given that opportunity. Is that fate? I think that, I think it's both. And and here's my point. I think that, let's just say, pretend that you or I, at that same time, were going to the school where Bill Gates went, and we had that opportunity. Bill Gates wasn't the only student that went to that school. He wasn't the only student that could have possibly had that opportunity. It was his free will that gave him the desire and the motivation to be able to go take advantage of the opportunity that fate put in front of him. And I think that fate also comes into play when we're talking about other areas. Like if we're talking about a, a child that's born into wealth that might kind of fall into that idea of fate, I feel that if you are born into a really poor family that say that you don't have those opportunities to be able to devote 10,000 hours to mastering a skill because you have to get up earlier to go to work or you have to get up earlier to spend two hours support your family right or, or to spend two hours on a bus to get to school or whatever it is your fate doesn't give you the opportunity to be able to motivate you know to, to utilize that free will I think that if um, we are able to find ways to allow us time to take pressure off in other areas that fate didn't give us and to then focus that time into that 10,000 hours it takes to practice something or to accomplish where our free will really wants to take us, that's a whole different discussion. So fate as opposed to being something that you have control over, you don't have control over. So basically, we as a society valuing that time with each other, especially perhaps our our children, valuing that time and energy for those kids that may not have those opportunities to seize those opportunities. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that, you know, even if 
you're not born into this rich family that has the opportunity to hire these great teachers that will come in and give you one-on-one instruction on piano or whatever it is, whatever it is that you want to look at that somebody might think that, well, I just wasn't born into that. It's not my fate. It could be your fate. If you also have a family structure, you have that support system to be able to help motivate you to encourage that free will so to speak, to or to give nurture you a it. sense. Yeah, nurture a free will instead of your free will being, I'm going to stare at my phone, I'm going to play video games on my hand, I'm going to like get lost in TV or whatever. If you have that ability to nurture that free will that encourages you to then refocus your fate. I think then people need to see it as a reality, that you're not just, I mean, even with me with the writing, you know, there are days where I'm like, you know, I could just be watching some really good television right now because <laughs> this is going nowhere. I mean, so I think, you know, to really to see it as a viable dream does help to nurture all of that. It does. And then when you have that and you have that support group, you have support groups that you have with um, online groups that you that you communicate with and your friends and everybody else that helps feed nurture. that dream. Yeah. Feed that dream and nurture that fate and make it fate for you so that your free will is now more gravitated towards accomplishing those goals and putting the time into that as opposed to not. We weren't, you know, the the best writers out there didn't become the best writers out there, the best artists out there, the best musicians out there, whatever. They didn't just wake up one morning and let it go. Magic. You do see some of these, you know, crazy freak things where these, you know, three-year-olds are... (laughs) Right, <laughs> ripping out something, so there's no way they they haven't been alive for ten so thousand that hours. Then? That's a, that's such a minute um, example. I think that those are just such I don't want to call it like exceptions. A, yeah, oh, like freak exceptions to the rule that you can't look at it and go, okay, at three years old, my parents didn't you know videotape me singing, <laughs> and I played violin, and clearly if they had had me on YouTube. I could have really been something. <laughs> you could have been a contender. I could have, but they, they didn't record me, so therefore it wasn't in my fate. I, you know, Had I really spent the time, I could have gotten well, better at it. So. I mean, to me, that's all about the American dream. And, you know, I'm the daughter of two Irish immigrants, so I love this idea of the, the American dream, that you can work hard enough and that you can succeed, that, you know, commitment and drive are the greatest equalizers to success. So when you see that, I think the book was a lot about seeing the opportunity, seizing the opportunity, and then either overcoming your fate or embracing your fate or your culture, for example, the advantages given to you in, in any way, shape, or form. Well, that's what, you know, the part about um, in when he was talking about the hockey players, and he's talking about the, the time of year that they're, right. that they're born. And, you know, this did make some sense to me as far as understanding student abilities based on you know, how old they are when they're in class. Are they the young ones? Are they, you know, the older ones? And and do they get an unfair advantage because they're more mature? That makes them seem smarter. Well, actually, they've had more time to practice. So does that put them on a different wheel for the whole rest of the whole course of their education? And the whole thing with the hockey players, too, that was a little different. But then it got me thinking about free will and how that's nurtured and how that's changed. And, you know, I think that he has a lot of extremely valid points that make a lot of sense. But when we talk about in politics, when you see something that stands out so blatant like this with with the data, how do you change it? I think that focus on this 
And I know that um, understanding this, you can now look at how you're raising your kids or how yourself is practicing whatever talent it is that you want, no matter what age you are, that you have the ability to be able then to put in more effort. It, you, I, I would certainly be so sad to think that anybody that was born later in the year and wanted to play hockey. Right, never, right. You wouldn't want to see it as a deterrent. Exactly. Or an excuse. Right. But I would also know that you know they'd have to go into it maybe more with the mindset of, I have to work a little bit harder. Right. I have to practice a little bit harder to catch up to the months and months that they've already had a head start. You know, it's, it doesn't mean that you're not going to Sorry, make it. it's over. Right. It's not the turtle in the hair thing. It's just, I don't know. I think that, you know, what it does is it really does bring to light some, some understanding. So if you are in a rut or you're thinking, gosh, I practice all the time. I'm at practice and I'm doing the same things that my peers are doing, but I'm still lacking. So forget it. I'm never going to make it there and just drop out. Hopefully they would look at it and go, okay, this is an explanation and a sensible explanation as to why. And now I know what I need to do. I think the Beatles, that's something really cool. That was an interesting story that he brought up about the Beatles that I wasn't aware of. But to see that they were given that opportunity to be able to go out and and do all those shows and get in all that practice and all that time where they became so, so good at their craft. I wonder sometimes, is that what everybody looked at and they loved? When they became really popular, especially when they came to the States, is that what everybody loved? Or was it because they were really cute guys that they all just fell in love with, <laughs> that they all sounded cute and they had these accents and, hey, why not? Was it, were they recognizing their you- talent or were they recognizing their talent? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think, I, I, you know, even if you're not the biggest Beatle fan in the world, you can't not look at John Lennon and Paul McCartney's sheer writing ability and genius song songs that you know you can't not recognize that i mean i think that the german time that they got to practice i'm sure helped them but they were probably the three-year-olds playing beethoven (laughs) in some respect or another because they are just you know again even if you're not the biggest beetle fan in the world you can't deny that you can't deny that but they also definitely were able to have that opportunity could any other band have been in their same shoes i'd have to argue yeah somebody else Another band would have been in the same spot at the same time and had that opportunity, and they were the ones. Maybe we'd be talking about... The Ruddles. Okay. (laughs) I was trying to think of what band name we would have. (laughs) We'd be the the Ruddles. The Ruddles were like the fake Beatles. Oh, they were real. I was trying to think of our band if we were there at the time. What would we be called? I I could think of all so many things. So really, it comes down to what, what defines success for me. So... Thinking about this book in comparison to The Great Gatsby and what defines success, because you look at Daisy and Tom Buchanan from The Great Gatsby and, you know, they were tall trees. They were planted in the best soil money can buy and they had enough money to eliminate any possible trees standing in their sun. (laughs) Well, were they successful? So I guess it really depends on how you define success. I mean, certainly they put in more than 10,000 hours to use people. Well, they mastered their craft of being jerks or, or being an asshat. Yes. yes, they were very highly skilled at that. Their hat was, you know, uh, was not a one-size-fit-all. It, it fit them perfectly. But they were given those opportunities, and of anything, they just merely wasted them. And they're spending their days thinking about, you know, what are we going to do to entertain ourselves and just 
again, wreaking havoc and, and using people over and over and over again to get what they want. It reminded me of a line in the Townsend, Mr. Ripley, which uh, Patricia Highsmith novel, which I absolutely love, is um, Jude Law character says, uh, you know, it's the cream that, you know, rich and thick that rises to the top. Basically. So I just think, you know, Tom, oh. and, Tom and Daisy. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I know which, which quote you're talking about. Right. Yeah. yeah. But it, it just reminded me of Tom and Daisy that they're, you know, they're, they're rich and thick that rise to the top regardless of whoever or whatever's in their wake. So that's kind of what I'm saying. Were they fated to be successful? I don't know. I, I think Gladwell provides us with so many powerful messages. And I'm so glad. I, what we see now is that schools are actually putting this into their required reading lists, at least here in Arizona. And the idea that hard work and determination can pay off, and it, like we said, it's not some magical fairy that's granting a good life, is an idea worth sharing. Do you think that talent is overrated? And is that a message that our kids should be getting, is that it's the work you put into it, not just the talent you come to the table with? Do I think talent's overrated? Yes. I think talent is nurtured. So I think that that's the message that needs to be brought about and that kids need to understand is that, you know, again, like I said, that just because you weren't a three-year-old playing Mozart, you have talent. And that talent is something that you need to bring out with your free will. That's something that you need to focus on and say, what am I willing to give up to be able to focus on that talent? That's one thing I've always had a real hard Sacrifice. time with. Yeah, because I think that I am I am a master of being curious of many things and a master at nothing. You know, I'm curious and learn about a lot of different things, but I've mastered nothing. And is it because Are I you don't... you a master at being curious? I'm a master. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's good. That's where the, the lily pads all hop all over everywhere, and that is good. Because I feel like maybe, you know, I've always called it maybe my my lack of attention to some things, but I get so interested in so many things that I can't um, see myself putting 10,000 hours into one thing because then other things take a back seat. But if we're talking about athletics or we're talking about um, mastering other skills, you need to be able to put the time into it to make it effective. So just like anything, even if I'm curious about it, I still have to put the time into mastering what it is. So whether it's um, uh, reading a book and understanding the topic, I put that time into it by having these discussions or seeking out other information that is brought out in that writing. Is that a talent? I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I just think talent's not overrated. You have to be able to formulate any talent no matter what it is you choose. So yeah. what did you think of the whole idea of the self-made man being a myth? And that we all need mentors. Do you think, can you be just a self-made person? Wow, okay. I, I actually thought about this. That's a really great question because I've been thinking about, you know, things kind of along that same line. And that is, you know, you can be a person that says, I, I don't read. I don't read. I don't have time to read. I don't need to read. I create all of my own interpretations on my own based on my own great mind. <laughs> I know where that just went. But um, Are you a stable genius? I am. A sta I'm a very stable genius. <laughs> but, but, you know, if you look at it and you, you have that thought process going on, you're really missing out on being able to learn so much from so many other areas. And, and to be open to changing your mind 
or to learn something in a different way or see something from a different perspective is extremely important. And you can't do that by yourself. There's nothing in there by yourself that you can actually learn. Um, you can you can meditate on it and you can think about it and, and absorb it and, and you know chew it up in your own way. And that's something that you kind of do on your own. But when you can sit down and actually verbalize what you're thinking about and then put that into into words with somebody else and then be able to reprocess it that's huge and I think that that's the same for any other talent I don't think that anybody you know stands on the pitcher's mound and learns how to throw the perfect pitch without a pitcher's coach showing this is what I'm seeing this is why you're throwing outside or why you're not it's you can't shoot the perfect basket unless you're out there you know shooting all the time and seeing how your elbows lining up to the hoop like different things like that you need to have another perspective out there that you're not seeing because you're not yeah it's a myopic vision if you're just thinking about (laughs) how you do it is the only way and the right way exactly and I think that to me was one of the saddest parts of the book is that you know all of this lost potential that for whatever reason that we, you know, we do have a responsibility to help each other, I think, reach our full potential. And I think Gladwell's his message is such a hopeful message is that he's saying that these, you know, fate and free will are working together to create. Exactly. I think that's really important mm-hmm. because I think that so many times, especially in the social media world, it is so individualized. You feel like you're in it alone. And I think that that's important for kids or anybody to see that, you know what, it's not. And you have to be able to trust that it's okay to get input from somebody else. It's okay to do something wrong. And it's okay to learn from that mistake, if you want to call it a mistake. Mm -hmm. Learning opportunity. Yeah, it's a learning (laughs) opportunity that we learned on Tuesday. (laughs) We want to hear from you, so please go to our Twitter account, at bookclubjuxtas where we hope to engage in a lively discussion with you, all of you online and, and perhaps share some highlights in our next episode. And we want to ask you to think about some stuff for our next episode. And what if you tasted true love and happiness for a bittersweet moment in time only to have it ripped from you due to the war? What wouldn't you do to have it all back? To relive the past without the perfect Kodachrome colors of your memories? Who would you become? Our next episode, which will be posted on January the 13th, is The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. And then next month, just to give you a little head start, we're going to be focusing on two really great books, The Flight Girls by Noelle Salazar. And we're going to juxtapose that with A Train in Winter by Caroline Moorhead. Next month's podcast will be posted on, Tracy, do you have those dates handy? Yes, on January 27th and February the 10th. Excellent. Thank you so much for listening. And until then, ciao bellos. Ciao bellos.